0: Right, maybe a famous, uh, famous, favourite Tom Cruise film? it uh, Your favourite Tom Cruise film? Top film, we've had one offering? Oh, there you come on. What's the one all the ladies like? Come on. Topic Thunder. Oh no, it, he's not even the main star. Come on. Which one's that? Oh, Mission Impossible. Nah, that's rubbish. Which one, sorry? Oh, he's good in minority reports, isn't he? Yeah, okay. Oh, I was, expecting, I was expecting... Oh, the ladies haven't helped that much. Jerry Maguire? No, he didn't like that one. That was the one that... Oh, yes, okay, we like Jerry Maguire. Jerry Maguire is where Tom Cruise said that he's most lovable. Um, I don't know whether that's the true or not. But if you remember, he's a sports agent. He's lived for his job... He's rushing here, there and everywhere. There's mad frenetic activity going on all over the place. But one morning he wakes up in a cold sweat, troubled, and realises he has lost sight of what it was there. He was there, why he did the job in the first place. He said, the quote goes like this, with so many clients we've forgotten what was important. And he writes off this massive big memo and he sends it out to the whole company, prints it off, like that. And everybody's reading it and he's sitting in his office and he gets the sack. So I realised that by coming to you and saying, actually, is it possible that we can get so busy doing church week in, week out, which is a great thing to do, that we can actually get lost in it, and if I put up my hand and say, hold on, there's a danger that we could do that too, am I going to get the sack? I hope not. But what we're going to do is go right back to the beginning. We're going to be at that point today where Jesus says, okay, fellas, get going. There were ladies there too. And so we can know what it's all about. What is this thing called church? Why? And As we are about to see, we're about to see that it's, well, it's about sending out people who are disciples, making a gang of people, the church, disciples. Jesus said, didn't he, I will build my church, and the way that he does that is sending out disciples. And so we're going to be thinking about that today, but it's in the broader context of what does it mean for us to be church together? How do we do church and I'm expecting people to contribute to this discussion. And because of that, I want to give four quick principles as to how we contribute to this discussion. Okay? Principle number one, very quickly. Some churches can be such that they've set themselves up where perhaps the leaders think they're more important, or perhaps people just don't like change. So when it comes to times like this, you say, okay, throw in your ideas, And certain people just don't like any ideas that rock the boat, trample on people's toes. We're not going to be like that. We're going to say, it's okay to get ideas out in the open. we? want to be, we want to hear what God is saying to us through his word, and we want to respond to that, the second principle. The danger is, if you say, look, we're going to discuss what it means for us to be church together, what happens is you get people coming out and, and just simply airing their long, festering grievances. People start moaning. Oh, and it just becomes a free-for-all people who just want to moan about things that aren't quite how they want them to be so we're not going to go by that one we're going to leave that one by the side. another principle that we're going to say is it's okay to ask questions and I realise that sometimes within our church perhaps you just want to encourage people and so you don't ask questions maybe it's me, you don't want to discourage me by coming up to me and saying Steve why are things like that and not like that you don't want to discourage me, or one of the other leaders, or one of the per- people who is a leader of the work. And I'm going to just say you've got permission. If you go with principle number four. And principle number four is you're asking and bringing ideas because you've heard God's word and because you love his kingdom and his people. And you want to grow. So you get that? So we're saying we're not being too defensive, we're not being too moany we're saying it's okay to ask good questions, but we're saying we're going to do it in a correct spirit, with an openness and with Bible in hand, saying, why can't we do this more? Why can't we do this? Is that okay? So if you like, those are the principles for how we're going to conduct our next four or five weeks together. Is that alright? But this is back to the main thing. This is back to the, hold on, what is it really all about? If I woke up in the morning with a big panic, and thinking, hold on, I've got to write a memo saying... What's it really all about? This is the place where I'd go. So let's read it together. Here we go. Can you see it down at the bottom of page 705? You got it there? Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. Remember, Jesus has just, within a matter of weeks, he has given himself to pay the price for our sin on the cross. He went there willingly. He told the disciples beforehand that he would die, he would be handed over to the Romans, but he also told them... That three days on he would rise triumphant. Because sin, death and hell could not hold him. And guess what's happened? He's done exactly that. He has risen triumphant from the grave. In the power of an endless life. Never to die again. He is the same but different. And he said go over to that mountain up in Galilee. And I'm going to meet you there. And it's the same disciples who followed him for three years. But something's a little bit different. When they saw him... They worshipped him, we'll come back to that in a minute, and some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age the sentence I want you to focus in on is at the start of verse 19 now I'm not a Greek scholar but I'm told by people who know about these things where it says therefore go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey it. that, ok the, the main thing at the centre is disciples 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 what's a disciple? quickly, what's a disciple? a follower of God, a follower of God good Literally a yeah. God? That's sort of something they do. That's not what they are. Glad, to, glad of that input though, because that clarifies it. A disciple is literally a learner of, a follower of, one who sits under. So he says, hold on, be disciples and be disciplers. The idea is that every single person who trusts Jesus Christ as their Lord is both a disciple and a discipler. It's not just left, left to the unique few who stand at the front. Everybody who follows Jesus is a disciple and a discipler. Do you get that? Oh, no, Steve, you've asked me to do this. How do I do it? Well, I'm glad you asked. Because that's what he tells us in here. If the main element here is be a er, this is what God's church is made of, lots and little discipleers. How do you do it? Well, the three things that are in there are, you do it by going By baptizing and by teaching. And that's all that we're going to talk about. Click it up if you would, please, Nathan. Lovely? There you go. Disciples. By going, by baptizing, and by teaching. Okay, well what do you mean by that? Okay, well let's simply look. That's all we're going to use our time for now. Okay? By going. Mm. Can you see that there? Therefore go. In fact, that's not no surprise to us, because that's not the first time Jesus talked about this idea. Do you remember when he sort of uh, catches a load of fish for for the disciples, and the disciples sort of are loaded up in the boat with all the fish, they get onto shore, they're like, whoa, look at all these fish, this is great. And Jesus says, I've got a better job for you. You're going to go and be not fishers of fish, but fishes of? But did you notice he said, you're going to go and do it. It's always been on his agenda to get people in, to send them out, to get them to go. Uh, Matthew 9, verse 28, uh, sorry, verse 35 to 38, flip back in your Bible, Matthew 9, Verse 35 and we'll read through to 38. Jesus went through all the towns... Can you see it on page 687? Jesus went through all the towns and villages... Teaching in their synagogues... Preaching the good news of the kingdom... And healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds he had compassion on them... Because they were harassed and helpless... Like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to the disciples... uh, The harvest is plentiful... But the workers are few... Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into the harvest field. So what's he doing? He's shouting, saying, God needs to tell people to... Go! Go! In fact, we say on that, just keep on reading about 10, he calls 12 disciples to them, gave them authority uh, to drive out evil spirits and to heal every disease. Jump down to verse 4. Sorry, verse 5. And then it says, these uh, 12, Jesus sent out... Do you know what that word sent out is? In Greek, should we test Paul? No, we won't. It's missio. Anybody got any idea what that word missio means? Mission, It's where we get the word mission. Missio, to be sent out, to do something. In fact, I wish I'd got time to unpack Matthew chapter 10 verses 1 through to 20. He sends out, can you imagine him walking off down the street, what do we do? Actually, he's told them. In verse 1, we're told he's got authority. In verse 5, look what he says. Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel, and as you go, preach the message, the kingdom of heaven is near. So he said, right, go to the people who are nearest to you, and what are you supposed to do when you go? Preach to lost people. Tell them. Tell them. Go on, tell them. Get going. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 9, we're told that we are saved by grace to do good works that God has prepared in advance for us to do. Did you know that? Did you know that God has so shaped your life and your experience and your background and the places that you've learned from and the places that you've been and some of the things you've had to go through. He has so shaped you that there there are jobs that only you can do for him. There are hands that only you can hold. There are ears that will only be penetrated by you because God has prepared works of service for us to do in advance for him, that only you can do. And so he says to us, Go. Go do it. Go do it. So I want you to notice that when Jesus radically calls you to be his disciple, he radically calls you in and says, Come and be part of my kingdom, be what be a Jesus person, be my disciple. But it ain't stopping there. I'm calling you in so I can radically send you out. And that's why we've got this word mission. To be sent out. In fact the Bible tells us that effectively what Jesus is is telling us is this.
1: I only bring you in in
0: order to send you out. Do you feel sent? Oh dear. We like the bit of coming in. But for some reason we're not so keen on the going out are we? Just says, listen, if you come to me and really meet me by being radically centred on me, you'll no longer be focusing on your own needs so that you'll be free to be able to focus on the needs of others. You'll have a radical freedom in the gospel that means that you know I've always got your back, I am your identity, I am your righteousness, I have put you right with me forever, it is all about what I've done for you, and now you need to stop worrying about that, because I've got it, and get out there. And let others get it too. And I want to say this to you. That to the degree that you. To the degree that you. Are drawn into him. Will be the degree to which you go out. Have you noticed. And I say this to you. Have you noticed that the believers that you know. In our church family. Who were the most. Satisfied. Most able to take knocks in life most able to um, face storms when they come, most full of joy, most, I suppose the Bible word is blessed, are those who are out serving. Why? Because they're so radically centred on him that they're able to just go out. That's just the way it works. That's just the way that Christ's kingdom works. So we're to be people who go, but more than that, and I want you to look again at that verse, back in Matthew 28, where I was back in 28. And we're in verse 19 again. We're not just told to go, but we're told how we are to do it. Can you see it there? So it says, therefore, go. And you can't see it, can you? Because I understand from the original language that it's, more best, it's, it's best rendered sort of, as you go. Therefore, as you go, says Jesus. Or therefore, when you go. So in other words, you live this mission sense of this mindset of, of, of going out to serve people and to speak to people, people who are lost... You do it as you go along. Now, isn't that a relief? Because you lot will sit in there thinking, "Steve, you're asking me to do something more." You know, we have this uh, we have this idea of us, don't we? You know, the busyness of life. Uh, The way you get through life is you heroically juggle all the demands that are in on your life. So perhaps it's family, or friendships, or career, or paying the bill, or leisure, or chores, or deciding where you're going to. uh, where are you going to work and how you're going to spend your money or wh- who are you going to meet. At? All of these things that are just, you're juggling them and juggling them and then you dread coming into church and told, go and reach the lost. And You've got to put that in there and you go and imagine like this. And, no, that's not what he's saying. You get what he's saying. You don't add this to all the other stuff. This is what you do as you do the other stuff. In fact, it's a radical rethink about the way and the how of how you do everything a radical rethink about the way you respond to your neighbours you're thinking when you bump into them you're thinking mission I'm sent it's a good thing they've bumped into me so I've got Jesus with me in fact when I sit by next to somebody on the train I think you are so blessed and it's not because I've got good deodorant or anything like that it's because well if it's true that, and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age if I'm, if I'm a Jesus person and I sit next to them it's their lucky day. And then hopefully maybe a conversation starts, or something like that. But whether, you know, it's, you're in a new place of work, you've got new neighbours, you've got you've seen your family for the first time in ages, because you've gone to visit at Christmas. And all you're thinking is, I'm a sense person. Some people have called this gospel intentionality. I think that's a great phrase, which just makes it more complicated. You just go, and as you go, you think, I'm here on His majesty's service. Serving the Lord. So what does this mean? It means that the church, God's people, will be disciples who don't gather merely in a holy huddle, but they're out there trying to be sent people. I've tried to come up with an idea to help spur you onto this and tell you what it might look like. And I found one. I want to encourage you to be frank. You'll remember that, won't you? Not to be your child, Frank. Frank, are you ready? When you're sent, who are you sent to? You are sent to your friends, your relatives, your associates, your neighbours, and, the ones we always forget, your kids. And for those of you who are are solistexic, that means, which spells... Frank, Are you, well, going and as you go with your friends? Are you serving them? Are you reaching out to them? Your relatives, how often do you see them? Think back over your friends that perhaps you've lost contact with. How can I re- rebuild a, uh, a relationship with them? That's, that's mission. Your neighbours, how can I make sure that I am the best neighbour I could be so that whether they like me or not, if I leave, they're gutted. How about associates, people... Oh, God, I thought that the wrong way around then. Associates, people who, perhaps you bump into at work, people who are acquaintances, how can I be on mission to them kids? They're the next generation. We leave them out. If you're a parent, your primary mission field is your youngsters, and that's why we're working through Pilgrim's Progress the way we are together as families. Jesus radically brings you in to radically sends you out where we be disciples by going you're only through the first of three. Don't worry, the next three you'll speed up a bit on, okay? So by going we're a discipler. Next one. By baptizing. Okay. So he sends them out to do what? To make them into new disciples. That's the idea of baptizing. It's when somebody comes to repentance and faith and turns to Jesus Christ. We don't want to leave them there because otherwise you end up with a whole stack of disciples a mile wide but they're only an inch thick because, well, there's no depth to them. So that's what the third point will be about. But here we have got to unashamedly be those who go and call others to be Jesus' disciples and the difficulty is they will say, well, what happens when you try to tell them about Jesus? What happens? Go on, what happens? Not interested? More than that, they get angry. Why do they get angry? Well, some, yeah, sometimes they think, they think you're telling them they're not good enough. Why don't people like to be told? They're their own, boss. They're their own boss, in many ways. And there's a more pervasive thing that's going on in our culture at the moment, it's... You try to commute. They say this, don't they? I don't mind you being a Christian, that's fine by you, but don't you dare try to convert me. Who do you think you are? And there's a, a frustration at that, isn't there? In fact, it's about the most socially unacceptable thing you can do is A, tell somebody your faith, and then have the audacity to try and say they need the same faith too. But Jesus says we should do it. Why is that? Well, let's think it through. Let's think my way up to in the story in Matthew's Gospel. Do you remember? Just There's something changed, hasn't there, in this story? Remember, the disciples were with him and uh, for three years, and what did they call him? They called him teacher. Yeah. Sometimes they even dared to push up to being master. But something has changed. They've seen him die on the cross. They've seen him rise up from the grave. They've had various little meetings with him, and it's only been in the last few weeks. And now they've got up to this hill, and Jesus is there, and look what it says... When they saw him, they worshipped him. Don't let that one fly by you. Who were these people? Every time that they had been around Jesus, they shook shook his hand. They'd thrown an arm around him. But this time, they worshipped him. And that word literally means prostrate yourself. Now think who they were. They were first century Jews, who from before the age they could brush their own teeth, were taught, the only people, or sorry, the only one you bow your head and your heart to, and prostrate yourself before... Is the one true God. They walk up the hill. They see Jesus after his death and resurrection. What do they do? What have they suddenly realised That they hadn't realised before. This guy is God. The one and only. He is God in the skin. And to add to that. He has the audacity to say. All authority in heaven and on earth. Has been given to me. Or Everything belongs to me. You belong to me, the lectern belongs to me. The sun in the sky, the dirt on the ground, every person who has got a heartbeat, and everybody who has ever lived, or will ever live, it all belongs to me. I am the very centre of the universe, says the Lord Jesus. And that's the gospel. That Jesus Christ is Lord and Saviour, and you don't mess with him. You see, the gospel isn't good advice about how to live your life. You can take it or leave it if it is. The gospel is news about who Jesus is. In fact, the word gospel is used to talk about a proclamation of something that has been done for people. So in the Roman Empire, the emperor... If he had a great victory that secured the, uh, the empire and had massive effects in everybody's life, he would send out a gospel proclamation. He would shout, we have won, I have won for you, and you are nice, nice and safe. You can live on the basis of that now. And Jesus is standing there saying, go, go and tell them this. Why? Because all authority, I've won the victory. I've defeated sin and death and hell. I'm calling all people under my banner. You've got to respond to this. So when somebody says to you, don't you dare try and convert me, how dare you, what they're actually saying is this, he can't possibly be that, Jesus isn't who he says he is, because if he is, if they believed he is who he says he is, they would say, well of course he's got a right to say that to me, he's the king I tell you. You see, what they're actually trying to do when they say, don't you try and convert me, is they're trying to convert you to an idea that Jesus is less than he really is. He says, all authority has been given to me, whether you accept it or not. That doesn't mean that we are rude in the way we talk to people. In fact, we'll be the most gracious because Jesus was the most gracious. But the fact remains that everybody who has ever lived or will ever live will one day eyeball Jesus. So we have a choice. We can respond to him in faith and say, be my saviour now. Pay for my sin and let me be your disciple. Please, I don't deserve it. I can't earn it. Would you have me, please? to which the Lord would say, about time. Or else we will be those people who on that last day will meet Jesus. But we won't meet him as our saviour. We'll meet him as our judge. It also means that for you and me, If this is the gospel, which it is, and if we don't take it out to people, what is that saying about us? Could it be that if we're not people who are sharing the gospel, could it be that we don't really believe that Jesus has that level of authority? Even the atheists have worked this out. Do you know um, there's that illusionist pair, there's the big guy who talks a lot and the little guy who keeps his mouth shut. Penn and Teller in the States, have you seen him do the illusions? Well, Penn Gillette, he's, he's the vocal one. Um, and he was evangelized by a polite and impressive man. And have this to say about the experience. He's an atheist himself. This is what he had to say. I've always said, you know, that I don't respect people who don't proselytize, i.e. try to convert people. I don't respect them at all. If you believe there's a heaven and a hell, and people be going to hell, or not getting eternal life, or whatever and you think that, well, it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward, how much do you have to hate somebody to not tell them? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? I mean, if I believe beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe it, and that that truck was bearing down on you, there is a certain point where I will simply tackle you. And all this stuff is more important than that, isn't it? That guy's an atheist. He gets it. He gets it. Do we believe Jesus has all authority? Do we love people? And if we do, we will be disciples. We will go and we will try to bring people to a point of faith, so they receive Christ, so they repent of their sin, they trust Him, they come into His game, uh, into His gang. And make him know that joy and hope that we have in trusting Jesus Christ too. Anybody can come in. He has has swung the doors wide open. But I wonder whether many don't come in because we simply haven't gone and asked them. So to be a discipler, what do we do? Well, we call it a baptizer. We welcome people in. We encourage people in to the family of faith. Thirdly and finally, what do we do? How do we be a discipler? Well, it's by teaching, isn't it? Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. He has grown these disciples over three years. And so what are they to do? Pass it on. Remember, faith in Christ isn't merely a one-off event. You need to remember this, okay? A point came where 50-odd years ago, it doesn't work if you're not that old, but... A point came to some of you 50 odd years ago and said, yep, yeah, I believe in Jesus and I'm listening to his teaching. But that wasn't the end of it, was it? On that day, if you like, you put your faith in him. But every day since, Lord willing, you've been saying, and a little bit more, I'm going to take that more and more into me. Do you remember the parable of the sower? The parable where Jesus is throwing out the message to people? And he talks of three uh, three types of soil, the, where... The, three types of people where the message just doesn't go in or if it goes in it only goes in for a bit but then there's the soil, the person who when the message goes in it bit by bit goes deeper and deeper and they produce more and more fruit look, becoming a believer is a one off thing and an everyday thing you, you let it grow in you so Jesus taught his disciples we haven't got time to look up all the pages but if we were we'd find it on chapter 12 verse 38 you're taking notes Chapter 19, verse 16, chapter 22, verse 6, and chapter 26, verse 48. And he says to us, if we're to be disciples, go teach others my words, my values. Colossians chapter 3, verse 16, he says to a church family, he says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, otherwise there will be loads of people who belong to Jesus and they'll all be an inch thick. He wants us to grow. And can I tell you, that's the definition of a church, I think. Disciples gathered around the word of Christ and the power of the Spirit. That's what a church is in the New Testament. And do you remember what Jesus' promise was? I will build my church. He's not just talking about numbers. He's talking about us growing more and more into him. So we are disciples, all of us, if we're but one of his people. We are to teach Jesus' words, each one of us. it's not just the person at the front who's got a mic in front of his face. We're all called to encourage one another and teach one another about what he's doing in our lives and how we're growing in him and how we're understanding more of his values. But the problem is, is I've used the word teach. So you don't like that word, do you? Why don't you like the word teach? I know Jesus' words so I have to use it, but why don't we like the word teach? Sounds boring. Sounds like school. I don't like school. And if somebody comes to me and says that, then I'll say something like this. Are you telling me that the last time you were being taught something was when you were in school? It's not, is it? No, you're getting taught stuff every day. Somebody is teaching you every day. So the last time you turned on the telly, you're being taught The last time you went to the retail park and had a look in all the shop windows... ...you were being taught values, weren't you? What's important in life? last time you read your newspaper and heard somebody's opinion... ...last time you chatted with somebody from your family over a coffee... ...you were having values impressed upon you. That's what Jesus is talking about when he says, teach. The question is, are you aware that you're being taught all these times? And Jesus said, hold on, there's worldly values... ...and there's my kingdom values... Now can I tell you that as the disciples watched Jesus teach and saw his values and the way he treated people, they just didn't know what to make of it. Jesus' teaching was marked by a radical reversal of all the world's values. All of them. Let me illustrate it. The world says, life is found in the pursuit of power. Get people to look up to you. In the pursuit of comfort. Have it nice and easy now. In recognition, have a name for yourself. In status, being recognized. And Jesus says, actually, no. My people will rejoice when they're weak. My people will rejoice in sacrifice, in weeping and in rejection. You're like, hold on. Hold on, that sounds nuts. I don't want to sign up for that. I like the idea of power and comfort and recognition and status. I don't like the idea of weakness, sacrifice, weeping and rejection. Sounds nuts. So this is where you've got to check that you've got Jesus' values right. This is what he says. There's a reversal of things. When you come into his kingdom and taste his grace in your life and see who he is, you will begin to prize what the world calls pitiable. And suspect what the world calls desirable. So we're not saying here that you go and seek those things that seem horrible and empty. Like weakness, sacrifice, weeping and rejection. You don't necessarily always pursue those things. But when you come, sorry, when they come into your life. Whereas before you used to hate them. Now you start to actually prize them. Because you realise they're the things that help you learn to recharge faith to God. You learn how, well, what you like as a person. You find your safety in Jesus Christ. You find yourself growing through those experiences that before you'd have just done anything to get away from. So I'm not necessarily saying you seek them all, but when you get them, you prize them, because you grow in them. And in the same way, it's not that you refuse the things that the world offers necessarily, power, comfort, recognition and status, but when they do come to you in your life, you're very suspicious of them because you know they're dangerous. You don't want to be controlled by those things anymore because you're living for one who has all power, who promises you a comfort beyond your imagination, who has recognized you as a son and an heir, and has given you the status of being welcomed into his throne room of grace. So anything the world has to offer, those things that the world teaches us that we're supposed to live for and wants, they're just dethroned. They're just not as valuable anymore because what he brings us is so much more valuable. We'll look totally different at life. And that's what his disciples began to do. That group that, you remember, they were hustling and bustling for recognition and, and all those kind of things. They, Well, they became a group of people who didn't judge, who were forgiving, who would gather near to people who didn't offer them very much. They gave time to the most unlikely people. They would love to say what Jesus was up to in their life. They were people who grew in his teaching. Because his teaching set them free. So if we're to be a church full of disciples, we will hear Jesus when he says go, and that's in every part of life. We will be calling other people to respond to Jesus. Which is what we, by that timing. Yeah. We will be calling people to grow in that. By hearing his word. So his word dwells in us richly. And we're being taught by his values. And not the values of the world. And as we do that. We will grow in being disciples. We're to intentionally do it. Okay Steve. How do we do it? I don't know. I just get to tell you this. That's what we're going to figure out over the next five weeks together. So I've written down a few questions. Here you go. How are you doing at each of those three things? That's a good place to start, isn't it? How are you doing on go? How are you doing on responding in faith to Jesus? How are you doing on growing in his word so you can talk to other people? How are you doing on that? How are we doing on that as a local church? That's a good question. How are we being disciplers? How well are we are going or are we expecting everybody to come to us? Oh, wouldn't that be lovely in the know suddenly everybody rushes in and says, what must I do to be saved? Do you really think that's going to happen? No. We've still got to go. How are we going? Are we building one another up? Are we equipping? Are we staying on task about seeing people reached? How can we encourage one another to be sent disciples calling and speaking to him? How do we do that? can I be very cheeky and give you a place to start and then I'm going to ask you to ask me some questions that we didn't write down for the Bible study here you go Five, three, one. ok 5 hold on 5, three, one. write down the names of 5 people who you know a little bit but know very little about the gospel and pray that the Lord would give you a chance to speak to them about who he is Write down the names of three people who you know, who know that you are a believer, but you haven't yet been able to talk to them about the gospel. So there's five who don't even know you're a believer. There's three who do know you're a believer, but you haven't been very clear about it. And then write down the name of one person who you've explained the gospel to, maybe they've even come along to church, pray that the Lord would still work in their hearts. 531, do you remember that? Oh good, it's on the audio, so you can listen to it later. That's what I want to end for today, but before we do end...